0: Happy July to you as well. It's good to have you here and Pastor Rex and Sue, especially good to have you here today on this day. We're so glad to have you as a part of us. I like your line about the back row Baptists. (laughs) I don't know, something about us. No one wants us close to the pastor. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, you fit the name here today. Um, As we know, today is Independence Day, as Regina mentioned, with the children. And, uh, Today, we celebrate our independence as a country. And if there's any word that could be associated with the United States of America over the last 200 plus years, that one word would probably be what's that? Freedom. freedom. Yes. We're, we're the country in all of world's history, and certainly to this day, the country most associated with liberty or freedom. Well, today, I'm going to introduce you to a songwriter. This person is considered the greatest songwriter in the world in the past 100 years. He's won the Nobel Prize in literature. He's won multiple Grammys. He is considered the greatest songwriter in the world in the last 100 years. And he wrote a song that challenges this idea of America being free. This man's name is Bob Dylan. Perhaps you've heard of Bob Dylan. Anyone who's alive in the 60s, you know Bob Dylan. He's considered the greatest songwriter in the world in the past 100 years. But he wrote a song, and the name of his song is You Gotta Serve Somebody. Listen to some of the words of this song. You may be an ambassador to England or to France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Might be rock and roll addict prancing on the stage, Might have money and drugs at your commands, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion... You might even live in a dome. You might own guns, and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. May be somebody's heir. But you gotta serve somebody. Maybe the devil. It may be the Lord, but you're gonna serve somebody. You might like to wear cotton. You might like to wear silk. You might like to drink whiskey. You might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor or sleeping in a king-sized bed, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan wrote that in the 1970s, and there was perhaps maybe the second best-known songwriter in the past 100 years who who disliked this song a lot. And so he wrote another song in response to Bob Dylan's um, song. And this man's name is John Lennon, the Beatle, who was murdered in 1980, and just before he was killed, he wrote another song. It's entitled, You Serve Yourself. Here's how it goes. You may say you found Jesus Christ. He's the only one. You say you found Buddha. Buddha sitting in the sun. You say you found Muhammad facing to the east. You say you found Krishna dancing in the street. Well, there's something missing in this God Almighty stew, and it's your mother. Your mother. Don't forget your mother. you got to serve yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. you got to serve yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. You may believe in devils, And you may believe in laws, but if you don't go out and serve yourself, ain't no room service here. And the rest of it I'm going to skip. It is extremely offensive. Well, Bob Dylan said, this is the truth, folks. Even though we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, that is not true. It's a chimera. It's not true. The truth is this. Everybody serves somebody. And you've got a choice. You can either serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Well, John Lennon, of course, he defines for us what it means to serve the devil. But he pictures it in these words. You've got to serve yourself. Life is all about serving yourself, looking out for yourself. That's what it's about. And our text of Scripture today, on this Independence Day, it just happened to fall on the right spot in Romans chapter 6, is all about who you're going to serve. Because as this great theologian Bob Dylan said, and he's absolutely right, you got to serve somebody. You can either serve the devil or you can serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. So if you have a Bible, please look with me at Romans chapter 6. Romans, we've been going through here for the last number of weeks here at First Baptist Church. And Romans is an incredibly logical book of the Bible put together by the Apostle Paul, the great writer of the New Testament, many of the books, who writes to the center of the empire, the city of Rome, the only city in the world of a million people at the time, In fact, the only city in the world that has a million people for many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It is the center of the world by far. And so he writes his most important letter, what many people consider the greatest piece of literature ever written. He writes it to the heart of the empire. And in it, he tries to explain what Christianity is all about. And he puts it under the words... If he put a phrase over it, Christianity is all about the righteousness of God. And that contradicts what most people think. Most people think religion is about our righteousness. That is not Christianity. That is the opposite of Christianity. Christianity is not about our righteousness. It's about God's righteousness and how God is going to try to take his righteousness and make that real in our lives. That's a big task. Because he begins his book of Romans with three chapters showing us that none of us are righteous. These are his words. There is no one righteous, not so much as even one. There is no one who seeks God. There is no one who is good. By God's standard, there is not a single person, not even one, who is righteous in God's eyes. That is a problem. But then in the middle of chapter 3, he changes his direction. He said, but but God loves us. And so God knows that none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. So now God has brought a righteousness from God here and made an offer to us. That righteousness came in the form of a person, Jesus of Nazareth, the only truly sinless person who's ever lived on this planet. God in human flesh who not only lived a sinless life, but died on the cross for our sins, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and now God offers a righteousness, whose righteousness? His righteousness to us. But you can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't be religious enough to get it. You can't live good enough to get it, because none of us are. But the Jewish people would say, no, wait a minute, our father Abraham, he was righteous. And Paul says, no, no. So he gives a whole chapter to Father Abraham. He says, no, Father Abraham was declared righteous by God before he was circumcised. That's a religious ritual, the fundamental ritual for Jewish people. He did it 500 years before God gave the law. He was not declared righteous by his good deeds. He was not declared righteous by his religious rituals. He was not declared righteous by anything other than he believed God. Wow. Wow. God would offer us His righteousness that we can receive as a gift. That's called grace. If we will accept it. Because we can't earn it. We can't merit it. And so the gospel is about God offering His righteousness to us as a gift. And then it talks in chapter 5 about what a privilege this is to receive this gift grace from god that we don't deserve and we then can be clothed in the righteousness of jesus that is a real gift but there's a problem a huge problem and oh you people are smart enough to figure it out and the jewish people are really smart enough to figure it out if in fact god's righteousness is offered as a gift that we accept simply by trusting that what God said is true, well then can't people do whatever they want to do? Can't people then say, hey, I'll take your righteousness and I'm going to live like the devil. Isn't that a good deal? We get get heaven and we get to live like hell. This is great. And, of course, Paul says, no, no, no. And so now in chapters 6, 7, and 8, he's going to address the subject that we call sanctification. In other words, in, in American terms, personal improvement. How do we grow as Christians? And so the first question he has to answer is, can we not then live however we please and just take God's grace for free and live how we please? He says, oh no. Don't you know, and this is what we talked about last week, three times he says, don't you know that the penalty for your sin has been paid in full by Jesus when he died on the cross? Something we're going to celebrate this morning in communion. And don't you know that when Jesus died on the cross and gave you the Holy Spirit that the power of sin was broken in your life? Not that we don't sin, but you don't have to sin. And the wage of, de- of, of sin, which is death, has been paid for you. Don't you know that? If you want to grow as a Christian, you've got to know that, but then it's not enough just to know it. You have to count it as true in your life, and then you have to live in light of what you know to be true in your head and in your heart. But now we come to our passage today. The Apostle Paul now is going to use the metaphor of a slave or a servant. And by the way, slavery in the first century is not like slavery in our country. It was never racial in the first cent- century. It was usually captives and uh, prisoners of war or people who had heavy debts they couldn't pay. That was the basis of slavery back then. So he's now going to use the concept of slavery and tell us that all of us are slaves. You do not have a choice of whether or not you're a slave. You only have a choice of who you will serve. Back to Bob Dylan. You gotta serve somebody. Here's what he says. This is verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Well, if it makes no difference whether we sin or not because our sin has been paid for in full and the power of sin has been broken, why can't we do whatever we want? That's the question. Here's the answer. By no means. Or perish the thought. Or I can't believe you said that. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness." You see, Bob Dylan got it right. We are all, we all serve somebody. We may serve, like John Lennon suggested, serve ourselves. Hey, serve yourself. And that's the dominant view in our world today. Serve yourself. Live for yourself. You only got 70 or 80 years, or in some cases, 90s, but live it for yourself. There is no eternity. There's nothing beyond this. Serve yourself. And Bob Dylan would say, well, yeah, that is an option. What you may not know is you're serving the devil, you're serving death, but yes, you can make that choice. But don't you know that you are, you are a slave to whoever or whatever you obey and so the real question is are you going to be a one who is a slave to sin and that's going to lead to death or are you going to choose to be a slave to obedience which leads to righteousness because we're all enslaved to something that's a given now, what, what does a servant of sin look like? Because he said that's one of the options you can choose. And it seems to me the best place to find out what a, a servant of sin looks like is probably the place where sin entered our world, Genesis chapter 3. To be a servant of sin means that there are three powers inside, resident inside of me that dominate my life. I want my body to feel good. I want bodily pleasures. When that becomes the primary pursuit of your life, it's called hedonism. And remember, Satan tempted Eve with something that would, that, that would appeal to her senses. And we know that, the, that pleasure is one of the dominant pursuits of America and today. Now that does not mean that as a Christian you don't seek pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. But when pleasure is the primary pursuit of your life, that's what it means to be a a slave to sin. But also to be dominated not by your own pleasures but by the stuff you can have, you can accumulate. It's called materialism. And we are really subject to this in America because we have so much. The dominant pursuit of your life is is to get what you can and can what you get. Get as much as you can for yourself because the purpose of life is stuff. It's things. Not people, not God, but it's the things. And of course, we're in a, a, a mad search in this country for things. And the third one is ego or the pride of life. It's about me. I want to assert myself. It's about my dignity, my identity. It's about me. Those are the three pursuits. Hedonism, pleasure, materialism, things, and ego, my own pride. If the dominant direction of your life is toward those three things, whether you know it or not, you are a servant of sin. Now, when you are confronted with the fact of what I just said, a more telling symptom of you being a servant of sin is how you respond to what I just said. Because remember, Adam and Eve were confronted by God with their sin. They pursued pleasure, their own pleasure. They pursued, they wanted to be like God, their pride, and they pursued things And what did they do when God confronted their sin? The first thing they did is they covered up. And that's what we do with our sin. We cover up our sin. Why? Because we feel guilty. And then when God confronted them, they tried to hide from God. That's a really dumb thing to do. You can't pull it off. Why? Because they were afraid. And then worst of all, they blame shifted, which our country is like the ultimate example of blame shifting. Probably the most telling characteristic of being a servant of sin is you do not take personal responsibility for your own sin. My mom, my dad, my culture, my poverty. It's somebody outside of me responsible for my sin. And so when Adam um, is confronted by his sin, Adam, what have you done? He said, "Um, God, um, the woman that you gave me. You're responsible for my sin, God, because if you hadn't given me this woman, I would have never have done this. I mean, that is so stupid, it's unbelievable. But we're just, as e- we're just as bad or worse. You refuse to take responsibility for your own sin. You shift it off to others. That's what it's like to be a servant of sin. The dominating passions of your life are pleasure and materialism and pride, And your response to sin is you cover it up, you hide from God, and you blame-shift responsibility. That's what it looks like. And that's one of the choices we have. That's called, in the words of John Lennon, serve yourself. That's what it looks like. And frankly, it's not all that pretty. But there's another option. Because now, in verse 17 we have another option. These are called servants of righteousness. Here's what it says. But, one of my favorite words in the whole Bible, but, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. There was the way that we were, but now there's a way out. And that way out has been provided by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a process there. Did you see the process? First of all, it begins with being exposed to the truth, to the word of God's word of truth. And then that truth, you don't just hear it in your brain, you allow it to mold your life. And then you wholeheartedly embrace it. That's called trust or faith. And then you obey what God has said. We have a song that says something like that. It's called Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so here we have a a, a, a little portrait of what God a person who's a slave to righteousness, looks like. Their mind is gripped by God's truth. Their heart is gripped by God's grace and gratitude to God, and their will obeys the living God. Interestingly, David, as you know, is one of the greatest characters in the Bible. We have more about David in the Bible than anyone else except for Jesus. So if the Bible is a book and it lists the main characters... The number one character in the Bible is a duh. That's Jesus. Number two is David. Now David was a bit of a scoundrel. Not a bit. He was a big time scoundrel. He did lots of bad things. Lots of them. But he was beloved by God. The only person in the Bible called the man after God's own heart. And he sinned grievously, as you know. He committed first degree horrible murder. He committed adultery. He covered it up. He he was involved in, in, in the death of many people died because of David's sin. Many. But when he was confronted with his sin, he did the right thing. He could have killed Nathan the prophet who came and confronted him, but he did not. And then he wrote two psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, in which he confesses his sin. They're beautiful. In Psalm 32, he uses a word picture. He says something like this. When I covered up my sin, remember that's what Adam and Eve did, you, O God, worked to uncover and expose my sin. But when I exposed my sin to you, that's called confession, guess what you did? You covered my sin with your grace. That's that's what a servant of righteousness looks like. We do not cover our sin We uncover our sin to God and then we experience God covering our sin with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And when we are confronted by our sin, and this is Psalm 51, we don't do what Adam and Eve did, cover up, hide from God, and blame shift, do the exact opposite. We refuse to cover up our sin to God. We expose it to Him. We don't hide to him, we run to him because that's the only place we can find unconditional love and forgiveness and we refuse to blame shift. No, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother, not my father, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We refuse to blame shift. We take personal responsibility. Just like David did. That's what a slave of righteousness looks like. It's not that the slaves of sin and the slaves of righteousness have totally different lifestyles, though we should have somewhat. And it's not as if the slaves of righteousness do not sin, for we do sin pretty regularly. But our response is different, totally different. And the pursuit of our life is different. We don't give our lives only for our own personal pleasures. We don't give our lives only for how much stuff we can accumulate. We don't give our lives to stoke our own pride. We don't give our lives to that. Those are not our priorities. Totally different. Well, the passage ends with the Apostle Paul asking us to choose our master. He began with, this is what a, he says, you're going to serve somebody. You can serve the devil. Then he said, you can serve righteousness, or the Lord. But now I'm going to show you what they look like in very stark terms. And this is verse 19. I am using an example from everyday life, that is, from slavery, because of your human limitations. Now this, using an illustration from slavery, can easily be misunderstood, especially in America today. And Paul says, I know it. I know I'm... I'm using a metaphor you can mess up because when you think of slavery, you think of the bad things that could happen toward a slave, but that's not what I have in mind. I'm just trying to quote Bob Dylan. <laughs> you got to serve somebody. He acknowledges that this metaphor is, um, is hard to understand, but then, then he goes on and he says, Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you catch the contrast? Let me point it out for you unless you missed it. The slaves to sin are people who do not understand or have not embraced divine grace. In fact, they're kind of ruled by law, either God's law or their own made-up law, trying to follow the law, which they do not succeed in doing. But they then are offering their bodies, whether they know it or not, to impurity because they are basically dominated by the flesh, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of things, the pursuit of your pride. And because of that, there will be a slippery slope of sin. Sin's not going to get less. It's going to get greater. And the benefits you will receive from life will go down. They will not go up because addictions, as you know, and we're all addicted to something, addictions don't make you better. <laughs> they steal things from you. And what will, they ha- what will happen? You will now have shame because there's a numbing effect to sin. And the fruit will be, the fruit of addiction are very destructive habits. And eventually sin will pay its wage. And the wage of sin is death. That's one path. That's serving yourself or serving the devil. But there's another path. Here's the path of a slave of righteousness. You are the recipient of God's grace. You recognize that you stand before God absolutely naked. You have no righteousness of your own, but you have received the unconditional love of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. And so now, instead of offering our bodies to our flat, to doing what feels good for us, we b- offer our bodies to righteousness. And our dominating passion is no longer our, our, our pleasures and the stuff and our pride, but the dominating passion now is the Holy Spirit. And what happens is holiness, an increasing God-centered life. And those benefits don't go down over time. They go up. And they result not in shame, but in joy and in fruit holy habits and the fruit of the spirit and the best eternal life many of you have seen one of my favorite movies is indiana jones and the last crusade remember when they've come upon the holy grail and there's the grail knight and he says to walter donovan who's ready to pick one of those cups put it in some water and drink from it the holy grail is the cup that Jesus used at the Last Supper, so they say. And remember Gray of the Grail Knight's words? He said, You must choose, but choose wisely. For as the true Grail will bring you life, the false Grail will take it from you. Choose wisely. And so that's where we end. God asks us. To choose wisely. You, some people will say, uh, maybe even Christian preachers, say, well, this is the key to living a godly life. And uh, sorry, th- there is no single key. There are many keys. And as we go roam through Romans 6, 7, and 8, there are going to be many of them. Remember, it started with know. There are things we must know. And then we've got to count. And then we've got to yield, obey. But today, our key word is, you must choose you must choose to whom you are going to offer yourself. Many some years ago I was a, a pastor in Houston, Texas. This was back in the 1980s, early 1980s. The date is important. And one Sunday morning we had special music and this man came to sing. And his name was Kemper Crab. He still is a musician. Now, if you go on, online, I went online this week and found Kemper Crab, He's got nice, closely cropped hair, but he did not have that in 1980. It went down to here. He had this black hair, went all down to, the, to there, and this guy wore an earring. Now, today, people, males wearing earrings, you see it all the time. It means nothing. But this was 1980s. You never saw one person in the world wearing an earring who was a male. Zero. And here, this guy was in a church with this long black hair wearing an earring. And of course, before he sang his song, and he was a marvelous musician, he addressed us. He said, Okay, I know. You're all looking at my earring, aren't you? And I going, Yeah. What's your problem, Kemper? And this is what he said. He took out his Bible, and this is what he read from Exodus chapter 21. He's speaking with regard to to Hebrew servants who, as if you know anything about the Jewish people, on the sabbatical year, every seven years, all servants were set free. But, this is verse 5, but if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and my children and we do not want to go free, then the master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or to the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. And then Kemper Crab looked at all of us. He said, I had that done with my ear because I have chosen to be a servant of Jesus for the rest of my life. And we all went, <gasps> Because we had judged this man. We had said, what's your, your problem wearing an earring? And then he said, this is my symbol that I am a servant of Jesus, but I am a bondservant. I chose this myself. And he used that as his entree to tell people about his relationship with Jesus Christ. It was powerful. And by the way, if in fact you become... A servant of sin you will likely develop some very destructive addictions that will hurt you terribly but there's another option if in fact we choose to be servants of righteousness there are holy habits that can develop in our lives which can be very good there was a, a, a woman her name was Portia Nelson and she wrote her whole autobiography in six five chapters This is called Her Autobiography in Five Chapters. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street and there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it and I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. And I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. (laughs) That is part of what it means to be slaves of righteousness. But I'll end with this little story. A little girl was trying to explain to her little sister that she'd asked the Lord Jesus into her heart. But the sister didn't understand. So the older girl said, Why? It was like this. Before, when the devil came knocking on my heart store, I opened it and he burst in. Big, nasty devil. And her little sister asked, Oh, no. What do you do now? The older girl replied, Well, now that I'm big, the old devil knocks on my heart's door, and I say to the Lord Jesus who lives in my heart, You get it. That's a servant of righteousness. The big bad devil still knocks on the door, but we have someone else answering the door and helping us. And who is that someone That someone is one that loves us much more than we could ever, ever, ever imagine. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a God who would give his own son to die not for a bunch of people who love him, but a bunch of people who hate his guts? That is love. Someone has said this, and it's especially appropriate for Independence Day Salvation is free but it's not cheap. It cost God His Son. It cost the Son His life. And it will cost you your life if you mean business. Every day for us as Christians is Independence Day. But our independence in Christ did not come for free. It came at the cost of the greatest suffering the world has ever known, the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. God knows what we're like. We tend to forget. We tend to forget what God has done for us through Jesus. And so Jesus said, just before he died, within 24 hours of his death, he gathered his little flock of faithful people together and he said, I want you to remember what I'm about to do for you. Never forget it. And so he gave us communion. And we're going to celebrate communion right now. So, our elders, if you would please come come forward here. They're going to distribute to you a little cup, and it's got a piece of bread part of it and also um, some, some grape juice. Obviously, the bread is a symbol of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, 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 uh, the, the grape juice is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray, and then... They're going to distribute it and then we will partake of these elements together. And by the way, you might ask, who can join us? It's rather simple. If you are one of the recipients of God's grace, you know that you don't deserve eternal salvation. But you do believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and was raised again from the dead. This table is open to you. Because that's what we're here to remember. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, on this day, we celebrate our freedom. We glory in the freedom you've given us in Jesus. Freedom through being slaves of righteousness. We're pretty bad samples of that, Heavenly Father, in many ways. We fall short constantly. In fact, even daily, maybe hourly, and even worse, But you have died for us. You love us more than we can ever imagine. And may your Holy Spirit communicate to us afresh this morning how precious in your sight we are and how special you are to us as well. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.